I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brightest Female. In this episode today, you'll hear my conversation with fashion executive Tina Bojwani, whose high-powered resume includes leadership roles at global fashion brands from Donna Karen to Theory and Dolce & Gabbana. After two decades in the industry, she's come to realize the need for change, both as a business imperative and as a human one. She created sustainable footwear brand Era to address environmental and social challenges, aiming to challenge the status quo and set new standards for the industry. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsors. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandiesfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Great. Tina, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me on The Brand is Female today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Tina, I want to start by asking you, and we're, we're going to go back in time a little bit, um, you've had a you know stellar career in fashion. You've worked for uh, some some well-established brands, internationally known brands. Did you always always dream of having a career in fashion, or was it something that you stumbled across you know by accident? You know, it's that's a great question because I've spent my entire career, as you said, working in the industry. But literally, um, upon graduation from college, I thought I was going to take a job in finance because I had studied international business and with finance and marketing and um, it was sort of the natural step. Um, however, I always loved fashion, even as a young girl. So it was something that I was always personally passionate about, but I never really knew um, that that would be an option uh, career-wise, even as far as um, graduating from college. And what happened was I connected with an alumni from a university um, after graduating and while interviewing for jobs um, in finance in New York. And this, this lady, her name um, was Cynthia Ahern, and she was working for Donna Karen back then. And she told me I should leave my resume with them. And to me, it just sounded like a phenomenal opportunity. So I did that. Um, and that's how it all began. Um, and you, I mean, you've just mentioned one of the one of the brands that you spent quite a bit of time at, Donna Karen. Uh, you spent time with Theory as well. Um, were there role models? And obviously, we know that there are a lot of women in fashion. It's a it's an industry where you know it, that is heavily dominated by women. There's not that many, but fashion is one of them. Uh, were there women you look, looked up to specifically, or women who inspired you on your career journey? Sure, um, there absolutely were, and, and you're 100% right. Donna, um, as a woman, as a woman creative and, and business founder, was inspiring. I remember that even when I was in college, and this was in the early 90s, she had um, this ad campaign called In Women We Trust, and that was shot by Peter Lindbergh, and it was so incredibly powerful. Um, you know, it was, it was a woman as president and, um, you know, she's wearing a power suit surrounded by men. And, you know, that was really inspiring for me, you know, before I even knew I would work in the industry. So she certainly was one of them. You know, I, I have to say my mom was a big inspiration because when I was ultimately taking the job, you know, my parents are both um, from India and my father, a bit traditional, thought that it was crazy that I would work in fashion rather than take a job in finance. And my mm -hmm. mom said, go for it. So I, I, I explained I would do it for at least a year. 
And then I could always, you know, go back and, um, and rethink what I was going to do. And thankfully, you know, she pushed me in that direction and I got promoted after a year so I could stay. Um, and then while at Donna Karen, there were a lot of women who I um, connected with, um, specifically one who was one of my bosses at the time. Um, her name is Bridget Klein, and she really gave me a lot of opportunity at a young age. She happens to be one of my closest friends today. So yeah, there have been a tremendous amount of women around me um, who have supported me and pushed me and motivated me um, and mentored me. And I'm so grateful for that. So you've mentioned your time with with DK um, and, you know, the campaign that you're describing. And I remember that was quite the iconic campaign. And, uh, you know, Donna was quite a visionary uh, because we certainly didn't have as many women in politics as we do today. Um, you know, Kamala wasn't uh, obviously wasn't VP at that time. And what what impression did did that leave you with? And, you know, being on the inside, kind of working with the teams, you know, uh, designing and coming up with those campaigns and designing the clothes, like the women that you were uh, making these clothes for, what was your impression around, you know, that movement of w women empowerment that was really kind of nascent in the, in the 90s, really? It was totally nascent, but it still gave, working at that company gave you the feeling of what was possible. You know, even mm -hmm. though it wasn't a woman as president was so far from the realm of reality back in the 90s and, and you know, cut to recently with Kamala, I think, you know, it was prescient in a way. Um, but what I loved about that experience was it just, it, it the imp women's empowerment just felt like there was a movement and there was possibility around it. And then I wanna bring up kind of the, the darker side of the industry, which, uh, I, I believe also inspired the new direction you've taken today with, with your own brand. But, you know, what were the limits that you've observed with fashion and kind of, you know, things that you, you realize needed to change and, and, you know, things that were issues and were making fashion kind of not the best contributor in terms of, uh, you know, ways the environment uh, in certain cases, uh, even, you know, uh, ethical, you know, labor uh, in certain parts of the world and, and things like that. So what, you know, what impressions were you left with and what was the reality that you experienced? You know, I've worked for, um, you know, contemporary and luxury companies. So there was less social issues around um, what we were doing. But needless to say, um, you know, most companies, really big, successful companies have really opaque supply chains and, and, mm -hmm. and sourcing. Um, and quite honestly, I wasn't as aware of the impacts that our industry makes until I really started studying them, um, which was when I decided I wanted to do something different after, you know, so many years of working for the industry. Of course, you you know, and you see and you understand, um, especially when it comes to things like production and calendar cycles and material waste. But, you know, I never truly understood until I, I dived deep into the topic and you know, it became very apparent to me that we quickly need to rethink the existing business models and come up with a better way going forward. Um, so that was that was a bit of my journey, sort of sort of knowing it, but not fully understanding it. And once I understood it, I it was, you know, there was no going back. 
And let's talk about that moment where you started thinking about, you know, venturing out on your own and no longer working for an established brand, but actually launching your own project. And I'm, I'm interested in, I've gone through that shift as well of leaving, you know, and I was actually working in luxury and jewelry specifically. And it's, it's, it's a big shift when you decide that you're going to be your, your own boss and uh, not be part of a, you know, a brand that already exists, a company that already exists. What led you to make that decision and how did that process uh, go for you? So my last corporate job, I was running um, Dolce & Gabbana's North American business, and I'd done that for close to a couple years. And I started thinking about sort of where I saw my career and also realizing that I'd been so fortunate with all the experience that, experiences that I had and what I'd learned. And um, I spoke to my former boss, who was the founder of Theory, Andrew Rosen, and told him, you know, that I was thinking of doing something different. And he had said, you know, you could easily start a consulting business with with your experience and um, and and offered me an opportunity to consult for one of the companies um, that he had invested in. So I decided to take that leap of faith and um, and not go the corporate route any longer and um, consult to sustain myself while at the same time studying, um, you know, sustainability in my industry. And let's talk about, you know, the next steps, what, what followed. Um, today you are uh, the founder of ERA, uh, a sustainable footwear company. So I'm curious to know uh, why footwear specifically. Uh, your experience was uh, uh, up to that point was was more in, in ready to wear in clothing specifically. Uh, so how did you land on shoes? It was serendipity, honestly speaking. You know, I'm I'm I I had left Dolce. I was out in California consulting. Um, I put a picture up on Instagram of palm trees, and um, one of my now co-founders, um, who lives between Greece and Luxembourg, happened to be in LA as well. And he sent me a note saying, let's have dinner together. So literally by chance, um, you know, me from New York, him from Athens, we're in LA, we're having dinner together. I am telling him about what I'm thinking next. And he's telling me that he had just set up a fund, um, an impact fund called Humble Holdings. And we started speaking about the industry and the impacts it makes both environmentally and socially. And literally by the end of the dinner, he said, we should do something together. So that was part one. I come back to New York. I'm thinking through many ideas. Um, and a couple months later, I'm consulting again on the Upper East Side. And by chance, I, I stop in at Bergdorf Goodman and I'm in the shoe department. And I live in, in Greenwich Village, so I live downtown. I'm not often uptown, so I took advantage of being up there. And I bump into Jean-Michel Casabat who is a, a friend who I hadn't seen in a few years and a luxury footwear designer. And so we connect and um, we start laughing because neither one of us really spent a lot of time uptown. He was sort of looking around to see what was happening um, on the shoe floor. And he said, let's go for a drink. So a couple days later, we're sitting in Soho having a drink together. Again, I'm telling him about my ideas and wanting to do things differently. And in the time since I'd last seen him, he had a young daughter and he said he's also concerned about the, the future of the planet we're leaving for the next generations. And we end the drinks um, with him saying, what about vegan shoes? And my very quick response was only if they don't look like they're vegan, because I didn't know sort of that, that it was possible to make great shoes with vegan material. Um, 
And that was the beginning of it all. So, you know, first I run into Albertos and then I run into Jean-Michel. I introduce the two of them. In the meantime, we're looking through materials and, um, and created some prototypes and um, studying a little bit more of what was happening in the industry. And there was a clear void for um, luxury footwear that was sustainable. So that, that, that's how it all started quite organically. And I believe that was uh, kind of, you know, not that long before the COVID pandemic hit us. No. And uh, tell me about launch and, and I laugh, I mean, it's actually not funny, but uh, a lot of the brands and the founders I've, I've had on the show recently literally had either their, you know, their, their first launch, their product go out just before COVID or they had a big project planned, like the opening of a new store, you know, around the start of COVID. What was that experience like and how, how did the pandemic shift your, your business plan for, for your new brand? So we formed a company at the end of 18, 2018, had a test phase in um, sort of summer of 19, where we'd made some, a group of shoes and um, our second test was at the end of uh, October of 2019. And we sort of felt like we were ready to launch in February of 2020. And, and initially we had made both men's and women's product. And thankfully, you know, our test phase led us to only launch with women's because that's where, you know, a lot of the response had come from. And ultimately, you know, with limited resources, um, we were smart enough to, to pivot and just, just launch with women's. But we literally launched in February of 2020. And had a big plan, you know, business, business wise and, and, and so on. And we had to rethink that, um, kind of all around. Um, we had shot, we had just shot a campaign of models that are, that are, our tagline is luxury footwear without a footprint. So we had models, you know, really dressed up, but in the sand, um, wearing high heels and, and jumping. So there, the shoes weren't touching the ground and, You know, and then all of a sudden everyone is, is in lockdown and at home. And, um, you know, we debated whether or not we should launch that campaign. And ultimately we did. And, and, and we really spent the time, um, you know, sort of the business plans we had obviously stopped. We were going to be a part of a sustainable pop-up. We had talked to Nordstrom about launching with them. And, and all of that really just stopped um, or, or was put on hold, I should say. And we, we used the time... Um, to build our community, to set, to, you know, to, to connect with people. We went ahead and launched our campaign. Um, and we worked on our certifications because a big part of what we're doing is, is data driven and science driven. And, you know, initially we had partnered with a company called, um, positive luxury, uh, sorry, not positive luxury. That was secondary, but global SCS, which is a third-party certification agency. And that agency literally allowed us to scientifically measure all of our impacts um, and, and help us come up with meaningful offsets for an impact so we could be 110% sustainable, which was giving back more than we were taking. So we worked on that. We worked on um, a partnership with Positive Luxury where we got certified with the Butterfly Mark across many areas of our company. We started our B Corp application. So all the things that um, that I think are going to be more and more necessary to call yourself a sustainable brand. Um, and, and we had to cut our expenses. We had to rethink our business plan and, and really sort of, you know, work with the minimal, um, minimal team and um, minimal resources, minimal creative 
until we could pick the business up again. So it was really challenging. Um, and I kept saying to everyone we work with, if we can make it through this, I think we can make it through anything. So let's just, you know, let's do what we need to do to get through it. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice, plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. And um, yeah, that's actually, that's, that's a good way of looking at it, right? This was kind of, uh, you know, baptism by fire. Yeah. Um, at what point did it feel like you have something tangible, something that, you know, you're confident is going to be successful? I think a lot of founders, a lot of women founders, myself included, often suffer from imposter syndrome, especially with a new project, right? And, and we feel like it's it's not going to take off or somebody else would be doing a better job or, we're not, you know, we're not doing enough of, of something to get it going. Um, did it feel, and you had the kind of added layer of difficulty that COVID and the pandemic brought on, um, did it feel, at what point did you feel confident about this brand and about your project? Or maybe you're still, you're still searching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that, um, that certain things bring confident at, at confidence at certain moments, but I would, I, I would honestly say I'm still not fully confident um, and why because you know we're still um, barely sort of getting by today and we're, we just started our, our fundraising efforts so I think until we get through that point and, and can really push the brand forward it is challenging um, having said that I'm really grateful to early sales that we had you know that did give me some confidence when we were even in test phase I was confident in the reaction that we got from, from those who did visit our showroom pre-pandemic. Um, and with some of the support we received from, from both press and celebrity. So there are always these moments that pick you up. And then I think there are these moments where you're so filled with self-doubt that you're, you, you wonder if you're actually going to get through it. So it's a little bit of highs and lows. And, um, and I, I think it's going to be like that for the next year, at least um, for us. What is, and I like how you describe that because it's, you know, I, I can relate to that experience of the roller coaster. It's, yeah. you know, there's moments where even a small win feels like finally things are, you know, are going to work out and we're full of optimism. And then it just takes a small event to kind of make you go downward um, how and and how do you navigate that as a as a human being and as a woman? Um, do you need to kind of talk yourself out of you know a negative mindset when you are facing more challenging periods, or what's your mechanism for for dealing with the self doubt and the the questioning? You know, I think I think it's very important to sort of always take a step back because when you're in that self doubt, it's it's really really tough. Um, and I think that. 
for me, what's important is to remember that it's not the first time, you know, when something maybe negative happens and, you know, and, and, and we figure it out, not just me, but our little team, we, we come together and we figure it out. So I think for me, um, a lot of it is faith, to be honest with you, that pulls me out of that. Um, and, you know, uh, going step by step, it's, it's, it certainly is challenging, but then you do have bright spots and that also obviously helps a lot. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before from entrepreneurs, but the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And, and I have to say that, that that is really true. <laughs> it's funny because I was recently reminiscing about that um, before a conversation we were having around mental health and kind of its connection to uh, the life of an entrepreneur and even financial health. And I, I use that quote again, because that's something someone, an entrepreneur had shared with me before I, I took the, the plunge myself and started my own business. And it's turned out to be a hundred percent true. Yes. <laughs> um, entrepreneurs relate to that, especially in the beginning, you know, I want to ask you how you typically go about making decisions. And it's always interesting to me speaking to, uh, women and, and kind of um, analyzing, it's not an exact science, but looking at, you know, the way women specifically um, apply leadership skills, including decision-making skills. Are you someone who relies more on intuition? Are you somebody who needs to see the numbers? Maybe it's a balance of both. But typically when you're making, you know, big decisions, even uh, decisions around big career moves, are you somebody who relies on your intuitive capabilities more or is it about data for you? I think it's a mix. Um, I think, you know, if we only rely on intuition, it's it's really hard to, to create a business. Um, but I have to say that the moments where I have not trusted my gut are the moments that I regret. So I think a, there is a, a large part of it that's intuition. And then I think just being aware of um, financial implications and the numbers, which is something I've sort of grown up with in the industry, certainly helps also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You are um, you're a woman working with uh, male partners in this case. You know, what's that energy like? What's that balance of, you know, approaches, including, you know, leadership decision making? Um, do you find yourself, you know, having kind of a different take on things, just using your 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 mindset as a woman or, you know, what 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 is that like in a day to day basis, basically for you? You know, it's a really interesting question um, because, I yes, I have two male partners and, and they're um, quite opposite in terms of, um, of what they, what they bring to the table and what they, what they do for the company. So first we have Alberto's who's our main investor and our sustainability advisor, um, who's very sort of black and white and numbers driven and, um, supportive and has helped us, um, you know, really create the platform, um, the, the sustainability platform, the measured platform we have. And then, there's Jean-Michel, who is uber creative and, you know, is a dreamer and an artist in, in his own right. And, um, and me, um, as, as the co-founder and CEO, what I think I bring to the table is a bit of equilibrium between these two extremes. And, um, and I think together, you know, we, we, we balance each other out quite well. Um, and, and it works because we're a very, very tiny team. Um, we have 
literally one full-time employee and three consultants apart from us. So I think the three of us really do need to work in tandem. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a nice balance. What are, what are things that you feel still need to be addressed? I mean, you've created a brand that specifically answers, you know, the question around uh, the damage that the traditional footwear industry can cause and maybe the lack of sustainability in, you know, traditional processes for making footwear. Um, what are what are challenges that you're hoping the industry as a whole is going to continue tackle or maybe needs to start tackling when it comes to fashion and sustainability? I think our industry really needs to, um, to think about measurability. And I think without understanding what our impact is, I don't know how you really address that. So, um, which is why we, we really wanted a scientific, scientific approach. And it certainly isn't easy to do that. I mean, it was really, it was arduous to go through and, and look at every aspect of the business from cradle to consumer and, and measure that in a meaningful way. But I think that it is critically important that we do that if we're going to make meaningful change. Um, and across, you know, across many different areas, I know there's a lot of um, talk in the industry about being being carbon neutral. And I think that's great because if a, if a huge company manages to do that, it's a, it's a tremendous impact. But I think we need to look at all the areas of sustainability um, environmentally and then also um, socially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are you hoping uh, ERA can continue to accomplish over the next few years? What would be kind of the the end goal for you or something big that you're hoping your brand can can help address? Well, you know, we started the company um, not because we need another footwear brand, but we wanted a new um, method of operating in the industry. And the idea was to show the end consumer that you don't have to compromise on style, quality, or design in order to do the right thing and, and have a sustainable product. And so I think that, you know, if we've accomplished um, anything in a couple of years, it will be to show the, the consumer, the end consumer, that you know, there is a better way forward and, um, and there are options in, in what we purchase. And if we want to make a difference, you know, we've got to vote with our dollars and, um, and invest in, 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 in products um, that are better for the planet in the long run. And since this is a conversation, you know, by and, and about women, um, what is one way, and, and you've certainly, you've talked about the support that you've received from women mentors, you know, throughout your career, what is one way you like to give back or one way you are kind of helping ensure you are supporting other women, you know, could be within the organization or outside, or maybe just your approach, you know, with being a, a team leader overall. Um, and I'm asking the question too, because I think, uh, I think as women, we're very conscious of or, or theme that comes out a, a lot in these conversations is, uh, you know, every every woman agrees that we need to better support each other, but we don't always know where to start. So how how do you make that a reality in your in your own life? Yes, I, I agree. I think that women do need to support each other. And, and I, I sincerely don't know where I would be without the women who have supported me. Um, I make it a reality by being available to the younger women who work with us um, as they need help with things or mentorship. I also 
Um, I volunteer. I, I um, offer my services to other women. I speak on panels where perhaps I can help those who want to start a business or pivot in their career. I just think um, as much as I can, it's very important for me to make myself available because we, we all need to do more of that. Um, and, and it's something that if we don't think about, it's very easy to go through our day-to-day lives and, and, and not give the time to. So we need to be you know, conscious about that. And I try to remind myself um, of that you know, on a regular basis. I, yes, I, I, I think that's great. And I, I love that approach. And um, this leads me to ask you my favorite question to, to ask guests on this show. And it's, what do you wish women would do more of? Um, what do I wish women would do more of? I wish, you know, you know, I think women simply have to be more confident in their capabilities. I think what happens often is with women, we um, let self-doubt take over. We look for external validation. And I think that tends to hold us back um, instead of just going for it. And the more that we believe in ourselves and go for it, I think the further along we will get. Um, even in, in, you know, a, an example would be in negotiating for ourselves. You know, I think in our industry, I, I often have seen this, like men definitely negotiate for themselves much more than women do. And and I think that's a result of really being confident in, in what you bring to the table and what your capabilities are. So, you know, I, I think that that for me is, is a very important one for women um, to sort of to go for it more and to be confident, to realize that we are capable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And given that we are still relatively early in the in the new year and there were a lot of uh, expectations for 2021 after the, the year 2020 that we had, um, what's one thing that you are hoping to focus more on this year? Uh, maybe some a, a personal development goal, for example, or, or something that you'd like to bring more of in your life in general? That's a great question. You know, I think that after a year of, of um, launching a business and being in lockdown, um, what I've learned and what I'm going to start to do more of is taking out a little bit of time for myself every day, um, be it going for a walk outside and just having time to think or, or catch up with someone that, you know, normally you wouldn't do in the course of the day to day. And also to, um, to work a little bit more on my practice of meditation, because every time I do meditate, I, I find um, that it so much comes out of it, but I don't make enough time for it. It's, it's the first thing that can sort of slip away. So I think it's it's really carving out that time. And ultimately, you know, I think it'll make me a better leader and um, and help me, you know, in the effectiveness of, of the decisions that I make. So those, that, that that's really, you know, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's, I think it's really important. And I, I'll join you in that, uh, making that meditation practice a more regular occurrence because I, like you, I feel the benefit, but I need to make more time for it. Well, thank you so much, Tina. It was lovely chatting with you, uh, wishing you the best with ERA, exciting to, excited to see what's, uh, what's going to be uh, around the corner for you this year and in coming years. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I love the work you do and I'm honored to be a part of it. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. 
Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Thank you.